Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today we are going to talk about Luke chapter 3, but before we jump into that, I want to um, just give a shout out to everybody who's been playing a part uh, on the YouVersion Bible. There is a... um, there's a group of us reading together on the Version Bible, and there's a talk it over section in which everybody is able to just kind of jump in and share some insights and some thoughts. And I wanted to share a couple of those with you. Emily Burcham shared on day one, uh, quote, also thinking of the popular Christian phrase, God doesn't qualify the called or doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And yet it seems when, uh, it seems when it is time to bring in the new covenant, God uses a couple described as righteous, blameless, and obedient to all of his commandments, and a woman described as highly favored. It appears to have, it appears he has qualif- called the qualified. I'm screwing up everything that she has said, but it's okay. Um, I think that's some fun insight there. Mike Van Fleet chimed in and said, trust God and miracles happen. Have faith in his words of truth. Don't doubt the day-to-day plan that he has for your life. Lauren Peace jumped in there and said, God wants all people to come to know him. He gives or has given chance after chance to his disobedient people. This passage to me shows his mercy and his wonder. Uh, And then uh, finally on day one, Josh Peace said, what this tells me about God's character is that his love is so strong that he is persistent in his promises, and nothing can get in the way of that. To have two women, the one not being able to have children and the other being a virgin, and God, through his Holy Spirit, blessing them both to give birth. The first child was to pave the path for Jesus, and Jesus was brought to pave the path for us. Jesus or just tells me, Josh says that this just tells me that when God has his sights on you, nothing is impossible. So I just like the comments, guys. We want you to keep uh, posting those comments. They're very helpful. And um, as we move further in this, I can definitely see us interacting with those comments and, um, and speaking to them. So um, if you have questions, feel free to post those in there. Uh, if you have thoughts about maybe even the commentary we're giving, we'd love to hear that. Points of agreement, points of disagreement, points that you're um, just excited about. So without further ado, uh, Luke, yeah, we're in Luke, right? Luke, <laughs> chapter 3. Luke, chapter 3. <laughs> so what's something that stands out to you right well, off Well, I think, for, first of all, with regard to the uh, input, I think it's a great format. It's not often that we have an opportunity, would have the opportunity to sit down with all of these folks and uh, and read something and have everyone be able to chime in about things. So that's a great chance and a great format to do it in. Luke 3. Uh, there again, we've said now over the last couple of days about the uh, Luke and his, uh, uh, his, uh, his affection for the details. And, and he really goes into that here in the first few uh, verses of chapter 3. But he gives us a, an interesting piece. He gives us a, a rundown of the Roman leaders as well as the Jewish Jewish leaders at the time, he talks about uh, Herod the Tetrarch and and his brother Philip and Pontius Pilate, Tiberius 
Caesar and all the, and then he goes into the high priest Annas. Well, let me back up. Annas was the former high priest. Caiaphas, who was his son, was the was the ruling high, high priest at the time. Uh, so it is, it's there again, he gives us a background of the folks that are involved in this at that time. Yeah, absolutely. So Caiaphas, uh, Caiaphas, who is the present high priest at this time, um, and Annas, who was somewhere between, I believe it's 6 AD and 15 or some, something like this. But, uh, according to Jewish custom, the idea was that the, uh, the high priestly office was an office for life. And mm-hmm. so uh, kind of like we always refer to uh, former presidents as Mr. President, mm-hmm. it's the same concept. And so Annas is actually not the high priest here, but Caiaphas is, but Annas is mentioned and it's a, and it's a position of honor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, actually, I actually love that in a New Testament book, Luke uh, respects all of these people mm-hmm. enough to to be able to list them and maybe it's just for historical purposes maybe there's no respect whatsoever but I, I I tend to lean to the fact that Mr. details probably also honoring yes, people yes and it, cool. it, it is interesting that he would name them now you know Luke was was not a Jew so for him to name these folks and to to know who they were and 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 the other piece that stood out to me is that Annas and Caiaphas were not necessarily good godly men. They were kind of corrupt, and uh, their their stories are not great. And uh, so to 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 kind of list them in this, it, it it gives us a background of all the players, I guess you'll say, Absolutely. in this in this part Absolutely. of the ver- verses. And Luke, of course, just is a very good historian. I mean, he's really good, good at capturing these. So in verse two, uh, for me. I, I see right off the bat that the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, who, of course, in day one of this, Luke 1, we, we talked a lot about day one and day two, we talked a lot about Zacharias. Uh, but the word of the Lord came to John in the wilderness. Well, at the end of chapter one, I believe it's verse 80, um, uh John is said to have been in the desert until the time of his public appearance. And so he, he hears the word of the Lord, he's in the wilderness, and he came into all the district around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now, it's easy probably for us to think all that Luke is doing is telling us, here's where John was geographically, and here's where he came geographically. But clearly there's more to this, because what follows this is that John is the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Mm -hmm. which means this is a prophetic fulfillment. John, uh, you know, kind of growing up in the wilderness until the time of his public ministry. And then in Luke 3, for him to have heard the word of the Lord in the wilderness and to come into the district around the Jordan is actually him in a physical way, fulfilling that prophetic utterance mm-hmm. that comes next, mm-hmm. and that is that he is the prophet Isaiah has talked about. Mm-hmm. He seemed an unlikely candidate to be the forerunner of the Lord in one sense, in that in uh, many senses. In, but, yes. Let's go with your one sense. <laughs> but he, he, his message was a message, and his baptism, and we get kind of rolling into verse uh, uh, three. 
his baptism was a baptism of repentance. And, and it's interesting because while it was a, Jew, a, a Gentile who wanted to be a Jew, one of the processes would have been a baptism, an immersion. It would have been unusual for a Jew to be baptized in this sense, in this setting where a man is calling for the repentance because that would have placed a Jew, especially a devout Jew, in this, in, at the point where he's saying, oh, I have sin, and this is the only way to get rid of that sin. It would have been odd. So I kind of, I like what he says, uh, and, uh, uh, but, and I, I like the idea of it. But he, there again, this is God through John turning things around. The, the, the uh, order of things ha- is changing, Absolutely. and changing quickly. I think, uh, again, we tend to read these words and we, we look at the physical things. We see John calling people to baptism, and that is a thing, and we're going to talk more in detail about that in just a second. But everything that's happening here is, is um, riddled with imagery. It's, mm-hmm. it, there's something else going on here. So, so John is coming out of the wilderness, and he's preaching baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He is, he is fulfilling the Isaiah prophecy, but we also see this beautiful story of the Exodus, and that is that we see one calling for deliverance through water. Mm-hmm. And, and so just as the Israelite people are called out of, uh, of Egypt and they, have to, and they have to travel through the sea, the same thing happens here that in coming out of the, in the Exodus of our sin, we have to come through this water. It's a really important concept. Now, uh, we're going to get more into baptism in just a second because mm-hmm. it's quite fascinating. But let's zero in for a second on the fulfillment of this prophet. So Isaiah, verse 4 says, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth and all flesh will see the salvation of God. So just a couple of points that just are glaring to me. The first one is the, um, is the prophet of Isaiah is now here in John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. Second, he is making ready the way of the Lord. And that is not just by giving a primer to what Jesus is about to teach, but instead he's calling people to repentance because God is holy. Mm-hmm. Christ is holy. And so for him to walk on these paths, they, they should be straight. The people should be right before him. So he's making straight paths. And that straightness is by grace through faith. It, mm-hmm. it, it again is through an act of Repentance. You are trusting God and you're turning back to him and running after him. And then we have that the ravines will be filled. So the low spots are going to be taken up and the high spots are going to be brought low. So we have this imagery of humility and and crooked things being straight. This is what this is all about, right? Rough roads Mm -hmm. becoming smooth. Mm -hmm. But then he says something that's that's amazing because we heard it in... um, uh, who is the uh, who is the prophet from or who is the 
the uh, minister from last chapter, um, Simeon. Was Simeon. it Simeon? Yeah. So he says this, he says, and all flesh will see the salvation of God. And Simeon said, I have seen the salvation of God. Yes. This picture here says that what Simeon saw, all flesh will see. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is yet again, that amazing message that says salvation is for all the people. Everybody can see it. It's as clear as day. It's glaring. It is Jesus, and it is for all flesh to see. I just love those pictures. I like that. It is. I like that John does not deviate from the story of the Jewish people. He, He sticks exactly with what Isaiah said, and, and he's, and it is very, it's very interesting some of the parallels that he draws because one of the things that they would do when a king was coming into an area is that they would do the practical, the practical thought of making a path ready. They would level the road. They would straighten the path so that it would be a nice level path. This is a, this is a very interesting wording that John uses here because he's making the way for the king. Yes. And very, very interesting. And I think uh, that he when he, sa- when he says that all, all flesh, as you said, will will see the salva- salvation of God. That is, once again, I, I this is this is uh, this confirms for us that while God absolutely uh, was at, had called the his people, the chosen people of Israel, but this is not just for them. And we see we have we have a Gentile man telling us this story. We have Luke, who was not a Jew before he got saved, and he he was. Uh, a, so we have a Gentile man telling the story of the people of Israel. Yeah. It's amazing. It's it's hope that has gone beyond the borders, which again just pulls us all the way back to the Genesis account, several accounts in which God tells Abraham that his seed will be for the blessing of the nations. It will be for all people. Um, so next up, we we have what repentance really looks mm-hmm. like, and it starts to get, well, it starts to get very specific. Um, but as we get there, we see some pretty harsh words from John, don't oh my, we? Right? Oh my. <laughs> so verse 7 says, he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers <laughs> who warned you to flee from the wrath of to come. And now I, I, I think most preachers would like to be able to say yeah. that sometimes, but <laughs> yeah. you it, family of snakes, you family of snakes, you brood of vipers. It's, it's a, this is a pretty, it's a pretty interesting phrase that, uh, that is being used here, mm-hmm. but he just lets him have it. He says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, wrath. And then verse eight, he says, therefore, Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, "We have Abraham for our father." So, so clearly, he's speaking to the Jewish mm-hmm. people. Absolutely, right? we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So, there's a call to repentance, and that call to repentance is met with the production of. The fruit of repentance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I've shared with you in the past that it's um, it's 
we're, we get obsessed at times with the root of our life and, and where that is, and that is important. The root of our life is important. Jesus, it's important. Um, but the root will determine fruit in our life. And so uh, this is just a common pastoral statement, I know, but, but this, the root determines the fruit. The only thing that people see, though, on a tree is they see its fruit. Mm. We don't dig up trees to see their roots to determine what they are. We look for their fruit. And in this life, the thing that God has given us grace to see, to observe, is the fruit of people's lives. Mm. He has told us, you will know them by their fruit. He didn't say you'll know them by their root. You can't necessarily see that. Mm -hmm. But what we can see is the fruit in their life. And so John just hits these guys and says, first of all, um, here's, here's who you are. Let's just be honest with you. With, with you. You're a brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. Um, I want you to keep bearing fruit that goes along with this particular repentance uh, of your life. This is, yet again, a call to holiness. God, has, God never stops calling us to obedience, yeah. even though his Absolutely. salvation is through yes. grace. That's yeah. fine. But it's in view, Romans 1 and 2, it's in view of that mercy. Your life should pr- mm-hmm. produce something. So I thought that was a fascinating It, it, it is. It's, it's, very, it's very interesting wording. This was a strong message to the Jews that John would have used things like, like calling them a brood of snakes. There was not a Jew in the crowd that probably didn't understand that, in, 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 that Satan had come in the, in the form of a of a serpent, uh, we 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 read. We know that Paul had been bitten by a viper and it was hiding in a in a pile of firewood. Uh, you know, Jews would have known all these things, and so this was a strong message to them. And then when he says, "I I want to see the sign of repentance," you can say that you repent. I can put you under the water, yeah. but if there's no true repentance, there's no sign. If you don't show me there's fruit associated with that there's it doesn't you've just gotten wet that's yep. all yeah that's all in uh in chapter six of luke we'll we'll find this out in a little while but in luke 6 verse 43 it says for there is no good tree which produces bad fruit mm-hmm. nor on the other hand a bad tree which produces good fruit now interestingly enough we would all agree that that um, people in this world that do not believe in Jesus can do good things. They're kind yes, people. Absolutely. They're very loving. But the way I've always understood it is to look at uh, the passage in Galatians, which talks about the fruit of the Spirit, recognizing, again, something that's commonly pointed out among pastors is, is that it is in the singular. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits mm-hmm. of the Spirit, even though there's a list that follows. And, and what that seems to indicate is that the fruit of the Spirit is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Therefore, in the Christian life, um, it's not that one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit should be visible. Even an atheist, even an unbeliever can be patient and loving and kind. Mm-hmm. But the Christian will bear all the aspects of the fruit of the spirit, it 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 either has it all, or there's a mm-hmm. there's a distinct problem here. But nonetheless, repentance produces fruit, mm-hmm. and that's what he, we're dealing with here. John gets to the heart of things for these folks, especially when he goes back to. And another thing that he that he 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 quickly addresses is their claim of Abraham as our father. That don't he said, hey, 
God can raise up children from these stones. Uh, he can raise up children of Abraham from these stones. And, and that's not going to get you. That's not repentance. Uh, so he discounted their, their uh, strong belief in their lineage as far as it relates to them being right with God. I think the other thing that he says here is, was, was very interesting to me. In verse 9, he says, Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's saying, if you don't have the fruit, there's going to be a bad time coming. Yeah. There's going to be a time coming when the tree is going to be cut down and it will be thrown into the fire. I, I, I don't I think John wanted them to know while while his baptism was a baptism, a baptism to show that they had turned if they didn't turn, there's other things to come there's and it was not going to be good. There's a yeah. judgment from God. I think uh, I think this is a, a precursor to this idea that fire in the scripture um, is an interesting it's an interesting concept to track because it often, mm in the far majority of, of cases, it it refers to the judgment of God, yeah. not, not so much always to purification, but even in the context of purification, that is a judgment of God of uncleanness, uncleanliness that needs to be made pure. Mm-hmm. So what we see here, regardless of how that judgment plays out, what we see here is a promise of judgment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, back to the the statement when they say, uh, do not begin to say, John says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. Um, it's actually a, a Semitic statement that um, literally translates, don't even think that. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't even, don't even think about it. Okay. And, and so the, <laughs> so it's an interesting thing that he's catching these people um, the same way that it seems Jesus does later when the scripture yes. says, and Jesus knowing the thoughts of their hearts, John seems to know the thoughts of their hearts too, obviously through through some power of the spirit that is within him. Um, he says, don't even, don't even think about it, right? Uh, God can do what God wants to do in raising up children of Abraham. So powerful mm-hmm. ideas there. It's good. And I, I think that... Uh, I. I think that uh, John's uh, message was a uh, uh, was being heard. I, 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 strangely enough, you would think that after you're called a family of snakes, and after you you've been told that your lineage amounts to nothing, after you've been told that uh, you know you're, you're that if you don't produce fruit that shows that you have actually repent, repented, that it doesn't mean anything. They didn't, they didn't turn around and leave. They didn't start to throw stones at him. They, they started to question him. And it's interesting, verse 10, then what shall we do? Man, so his, his message hit home with them, and they actually started to respond to what he was saying, not in a negative way necessarily, not in a negative way, but they they have a response, and it's a good response. It speaks volumes to um, to this idea that God's unique message has a has a power in the lives of humanity, power to woo them instead of repel them. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> brood of vipers yeah. Yeah. says, forget you, dude. Yeah. Uh, but instead, the, the response, as you, as you rightly put, point out, is that their question is, what shall we do? Now, the, the next connector in all of this is that, uh, is that John does not say, well, I told you to repent. Just feel sorry for your sins and get mm, on with mm. it. You notice that that's, that's not present in the text. Right. What follows in these next series of verses is the practical outplay yes. of genuine repentance. And, and we, we talk about this all the time, that repentance is a turning around. You, you were once walking after your own ways. You were, you were following you. And Jesus has come and said, come follow me. Uh, and John, as the as the forerunner here, is saying, make it right because Jesus is coming and you want to follow him. So what, what follows next is amazing. He says, well, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Okay, well, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Repent? Mm-hmm. I, just because I have two tunics? And his point is, you have plenty Share Absolutely. with those around you. Now, where do we see this again? Acts two forty two, right? We see this dedication to the fellowship, and they had all things in common. Well, John the Baptist actually called this as a part of repentance. Mm-hmm. Acts chapter four, we see that the apostles had all things in common, and and your uh, the disciples had all things in common. Where does this come from? John's call to repentance. Mm-hmm. So there's. Man, there's a lot in this turning around. Yes, there's a there's a lot there. It's a practical application for for fruits of repentance. I I really like that he he chose the same groups. He he had groups. He had he had, he had the wealthy there. He he tells them if you've got two cloaks, give them give somebody one. The tax collectors. He said you need to you need to do your job honestly. He he didn't leave them out of it. Practical practically applying what he was saying. He even talks to the soldiers that are there. The, these would have been Roman soldiers and said, hey, you, you uh, don't be violent. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't use deceit and be content with the pay that you're getting. Yes. Because these guys, they were known for extortion and going around and bullying people into paying them not to carry them off to a Roman jail. So John says, don't just repent and say, well, I, I doesn't have, don't have to change a thing in my life. That's, that's it's simply crazy. not repentance. It yeah. does not, that's not fruit. No. <laughs> and so, and so here we, we just follow down this line. He says, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. He who has food is to do likewise. That is to share with the one who has none. Some tax collectors also mm-hmm. came to be baptized. Now it's amazing. They came to be baptized. Yeah. They came because they heard this message that says, prepare the way, the Messiah is coming. And they knew what that meant. And so he says to them, teacher, what shall we do? And he says to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to collect. Mm-hmm. Because these people would take, if they were to go out and collect uh, 10% for the for the governing officials, they would collect 12% and pocket their own money. They, yes. were, they were extorting people, right? And so 
So we go on and and he says, collect no more than, than you've been ordered to. Verse 14, some soldiers were questioning him saying, and what about us? What shall we do? And he said to them, do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. This is just a part of the commandments of God, yes. right? No false yeah, accusations. And then he says, be content with your wages. Now, what I find amazing about that is to the soldiers who came to be baptized, he said, stop stop doing what you're doing, all these sinful yeah. and wrong things mm-hmm. that you're doing. Later on in the New Testament, Jesus would say, if a soldier says, go with me two miles, if one, you know, somebody pulls you, you know, or asks you to go with them a mile, go with them too. Mm-hmm. This was in reference to soldiers. They had the right to make you carry their stuff, yes. Roman soldiers. In this context, he tells the soldiers to not do those kinds of things, but later he tells the Christian, do it anyway if the soldier hasn't heard the gospel, yes. doesn't know this. You, we are to serve in humility, and they are to serve in humility uh, when they hear the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it, there's just some powerful uh, combinations of things going on I, I, I think it's I think it's interesting what John said, but even I think it's interesting what he did not say to these guys. He did not tell the guy that's rich. He said, "Hey, you've got to get rid of everything you own." He didn't tell the tax collector, "You got to stop being a tax collector." He didn't tell the soldier, "You got to you got to get out of the army here, brother." You got to get out. He 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 didn't tell them to stop doing any of those things. He 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 told them to live a, a life that was pleasing to God in the very thing that they were doing, in the very jobs that they had even. And that's an interesting piece. Uh, that's a so, good observation because, um, because we, we come to Jesus in many mm-hmm. situations in our life. You know, we've, we've, you know, maybe we've, we've been in a career for all of our life. We just need to uh, focus on that career now there's a there's a uh, qualification here in just a second. We have to walk in that career in a way that is fitting to God. Notice that none of these careers are inherently sinful. Right. Okay. Being a tax collector. I mean, I know we think that's <laughs> sinful, but but being a tax collector is not inherently sinful. Being a soldier is not inherently sinful. Jesus is not dealing with. The prostitute here. Mm-hmm. Later, er, John is not dealing with the prostitute here. Later, Jesus does and specifically mm-hmm. says, go and sin no more. Yeah. So so in that situation, leave that lifestyle. Yes. In this situation, you must be a person of integrity in the midst of everything. So let's pick up on verse 15. He says, now while the people were in a state of expectation, and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answers and says to them all, as for me, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I have stressed this on many occasions. John's baptism was a baptism in water. We know throughout the New Testament, we've seen it in the book of Acts, we continue to see it through the New Testament, that water is 
a mainstay in baptism, mm-hmm. even though we have moved beyond the baptism of John. Yes. John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Should we repent? Yes, Jesus says to repent and believe. But John says that when Jesus comes, he is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, does that come via water? Yes. yes it does. We see it in the New Testament. We yes. see it in the book of Acts. Um, they, uh, the, the, the ones on Pentecost, the people on Pentecost, after they had heard this great message of Peter and the 11, it says that they were baptized and 3000 souls were added to the church that day, meaning that they went and got dunked in some water Mm -hmm. somewhere. Okay. So number one, there's a key significance to baptism. It's not just, it was a command by the way. It's not just some afterthought here, but it, it appears to me that the baptism that we are undergoing, we see it in, uh, in the rest of the text of Scripture, baptize them, go and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is a baptism of Jesus yes. in the Holy Spirit and fire, which is a purification, which is a, a justice on us and a purification for righteous living. Um, I don't hear many people talk about that. It seems that we want to hold on to both John's baptism and then maybe there's this strange idea that what Jesus came to do was uh, some sort of Pentecostal or charismatic ideal later, it doesn't, first of all, they didn't have that framework in their mind. They weren't thinking about a a 19th and 20th century argument. They were were given the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire once Jesus enters the scene, and that comes uh, for their living a life of holiness. I like John's wording. When, When they asked if he was the Christ, he said, I, I baptize you with water, but one is coming who is mightier than I, that I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. First of all, dealing with sandals in the shoes of that day would have been a slave's job. John says, I'm not even worthy to be a slave. I'm not fit to be a slave even to the one that's coming. But, but he says something very interesting next. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Every Jew in the audience would have known that nobody but God could baptize with the Holy Spirit. No one. God was the only one that could baptize. And it was, that would have been an interesting piece for them that said, oh, this is God. God can, is the only one that can baptize with the Spirit. So it would have only been possible. Uh, I, I think I, I, I look at this baptism with fire, and there's many uh, different views of that. Some think it's the Holy Spirit in the fire at Pentecost. And I, I, I tend to believe the scholars that believe it is a, it was related to a, to judgment to come. It seems to me to be that way. I'm not, that's, that's, that's just my view of it. I, 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 that's, uh, certainly, certainly not the only view. Yeah, absolutely. But it seems to be a view that is confirmed in the very next verse, right? Mm-hmm. So he says, he, meaning Jesus, um, whom I love your point, whom John says, I'm not, I'm not even worthy to be a servant mm-hmm. of, of the Messiah. He says, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And what comes in yeah. verse 17? It's, yeah. it's judgment. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to 
gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. So there's this idea that those who have the Holy Spirit are God's. We see this again Mm -hmm. in Romans. If we don't have the Spirit, we don't belong to him. And this fire burns up the chaff. Mm -hmm. It burns up that which is not of if you want to talk about their context and these Jewish people, not of Abraham, not genuinely yeah. of Abraham. So we're back to what we talked about before with this with this fire being judgment, and we see it yet again in verse 17. So then verse 18, he says, So with many other exhortations, and this verse just <laughs> sings to me. Oh my, yeah. So with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel to the people. We have to connect all the dots that are that are indicated here. First of all, the gospel came with what John previously preached, yes. repentance. Yes. And with many other exhortations, he preached the gospel mm-hmm. to the people. Mm-hmm. So repentance and whatever else comes after that was all an integral part mm-hmm. of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And John is preaching that gospel mm-hmm. to all these people. I just... it. It amazes me because we don't connect repentance any longer, at least it doesn't appear mm-hmm. uh, very often, with the gospel. The good news is you've been afforded the, the ability and the opportunity mm-hmm. to repent and believe and to turn and to come after the one who created you. So. I think that that his part of this, the, the, the many other exhortations, and this is, I mean... Uh, are, are, were some of the things, and, and I, I think it's somewhat uh, is proven out a little bit by the very next verse or two, but I think it is part of what he said when he gave them practical ways to apply. If you repent, it's going to look something like this. If you're doing something wrong, you're going to turn from that. That's, that's actually an excellent observation because it obviously went beyond just a tax collector, a soldier, and the guy who had yes. more than one tunic. Yeah. So the multiple exhortations seems to be connected mm-hmm. to more repentance. More, more repentance because it, the, the, the very next line, it says, when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him, because by John, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, because of all of the wicked things which Herod had done. This is a story, it's in Matthew, that talks about the whole deal with Herod, uh, Herod Antipas and his brother, uh, 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 who was uh, Philip, Herod Philip, and the whole deal with, you, the, the story goes that Herod had, had married this uh, this gal. She was uh, the daughter of King Aretas, and he was a ruler of another another area. And he had done this just so that he could form an alliance, and they didn't come and squash these guys. So he so he did that. Well, after he he goes in and he uh, he is seduced by Philip's wife, his brother's wife. Actually, Philip, I believe, was his half brother technically, but. Uh, uh, he he divorces this king's daughter, and the, and nearly loses the entire province because this guy came and attacked him after that. So not only did he <laughs> did he use uh, the, the the whole story just keeps going on. There's so much more to it, but but John had said you cannot have your brother's wife. And now I don't know when he said that. I obviously. 
Yes. Uh, that this the story we we see bits and pieces of the time frame, but my goodness, John stood up to the to, to the ruler of that province, one of the Herods. There were the, the, these guys were in control, and you did not cross them. And John said, "Hey, I'm calling it out. I'm yes. calling it out. I, I that's that's an interesting piece to yes. me because many other exhortations." I'm sure there were a lot of people who didn't care for John, Herod being certainly one of yes. them, Herod Antipas. He, he is calling out sin. He is giving other exhortations. He is preaching the gospel. All of this is connected. There is a, there is a tendency in the church today to want to reduce the gospel to its most basic nuts and bolts, to the, to the, uh, to the you know, ABCs of the gospel. And although I understand the purpose of that, generally to make uh, to make evangelism easier or to make it accessible to the whole church in general. The problem is that uh, the gospel is a very nuanced good news. It's a very nuanced message. And one of the pieces that is that is there is the calling to repentance, the calling of turning mm-hmm. away. And Herod should have listened to this, but I, I love the fact that, that John seems, the gospel account seems to record that John uh, is dealing with uh, religious matters here. Josephus records this story as being a political issue, mm-hmm. but but the gospels show us that it's actually a religious matter. He says, when Herod the Tetrarch was reprimanded by him because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and because of all of the wicked things which Herod had done, so the wicked things he had done or the sin which he was walking sure. in and living in, verse 20 says, Herod also added this to them all. To them all what? To them all wicked things, yes, right? Yes. To those sins, he added to his sins that he locked John up in yeah, prison. Yeah. That's an amazing picture there because putting God's messenger in prison to God was... A sin. Yeah. It was absolutely. a wicked deed. Yeah. And I, I love that. Now, that, of course, doesn't thwart God's plan. He's still moving forward. But I do love the idea that that he puts this as a step against God's plan. Therefore, it is sin. And and this, this, enti- this piece, this verse 18, 19, and 20, tell the story of, of what ended up being John's demise, uh, 18 months later, I think he was in prison for 18 months before uh, Philip's wife had him, uh, had her, her daughter to dance before Herod and, and she said they would, would give her, he would give her anything that she wanted and that ended up being the John's head of hand. John uh, on a platter. But it is so interesting to me that, that uh, first of all, you don't ever read that John said, "Hey, wait a minute. I, I may, maybe I should go back and apologize to Herod or to some of these folks, and maybe I get out of jail here. Maybe I'm going to get out of this prison." I, I he didn't back down from this. Not any time that we read it, because he, end, he ultimately ended up, uh, they ultimately ended up dying at the hand of uh, Herod and and his his wife. Yeah. So there's no backpedaling. No there is a there is a boldness that John seems to have, and and I really do believe that this is a, the boldness that we see in in Acts chapter four when the apostles are praying and thanking God that He has delivered, I believe it's Peter and John from their imprisonment, and 
in that deliverance, they pray for boldness and the spirit falls on them and they have boldness to proclaim the gospel. We need the kind of boldness that, uh, that John the Baptist had. That's just all there is to it. Now, verses 21 and 22 provide an amazing uh, story. We see this recorded in uh, in various gospels, and it is one of those stories that provides a lot of problems for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Now, when all the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came out of heaven, you are my beloved son, in you, I am well pleased. A couple of observations here is uh, include that in other gospel accounts, there's something strange about the wording that seems to indicate that um, God spoke to Jesus, almost in a way that might imply, I don't know, but it might imply that Jesus was the only one who heard this, um, that Jesus was the only one who saw this. Maybe John saw this with him. The reason why that is intriguing to me is because if you have a crowd of people gathered around to watch this Jesus fellow who has come on the scene get baptized, and all of a sudden the clouds start speaking, that this is the Son of God in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove, you would think word would spread pretty quick of some supernatural event here. Meanwhile, just a little bit later, Jesus is healing people and he's telling them not to tell everybody who he is. Mm -hmm. So it's an interesting question about what happens here. Nonetheless, there is a marker here that Jesus is the son of God and that God is well pleased in his son. So I love the communication here. Uh, you actually see God in three right here, yes, don't you? Absolutely. You see the Father who is pleased with the Son, you see the Son in the water, mm-hmm. and you see the Holy Spirit descending upon the Son. It's yeah. just an intriguing picture right there. It is. But here's here's what is astounding to me. Why is Jesus getting baptized? Yeah, that's a great question. It was he he didn't need to be baptized. He didn't need a repentance. He didn't need to repent of anything. There's no he had sin, no sin. Here. So I, I, that's, that's a great question. I can, I can speculate. And, and, and from, I think that uh, Jesus was, was aligning himself with, and, and let, me, let me qualify this uh, after I say it, but he was aligning himself with sinners in the sense that he was coming for them. He wasn't coming as a sinner. He was coming for the sinner. So I think that for them to, that's, that's my thought, I think for them to see Jesus submit to John to be baptized. And, and, and then the other piece of this that comes to my mind, and this is, I'm just, I'll throw it out there, the, the spirit coming down like a dove on him, I think, I, 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 what better time than at the baptism of Christ to portray the, the spirit of God and how that how that worked at that time I I don't know this is this is an interesting one I don't I certainly I'm speculating I, I like I like both of those thoughts in that it 
what I'm hearing you say is almost here is Jesus setting the example and Jesus also displaying when the spirit comes mm-hmm. into the life of a believer. And, and that may be, um, uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun to discuss and to think about. He, here's the way I view it. Of course, we're back to the same agreement that he's not repenting. Right. <laughs> he's not confessing sin. He's not being cleansed of this particular thing. But there is this amazing Exodus imagery always in what's going on here. And so when I'm thinking of the Exodus imagery, I'm thinking that Jesus is known to be the 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 greater prophet that comes after Moses. And Moses leads the people of Israel through the Red Sea into this journey, okay? Mm-hmm. Into, mm-hmm. Uh, into uh, or away from captivity and into um, hopefully the promised land. That's where they're heading. And so Jesus, it seems, the better prophet, uh, the the, the God prophet has come and he is, he is leading by example. He is like Moses. He is walking this path and he is showing them the way. And that is that they must go through the water and they must come out the other side. And in doing so, they will be given these great uh, promises, including the spirit of God. So maybe these two views that we're throwing out there, just as food for thought, if you you have a thought on that, we'd love to hear it. But um, just as food for thought, these ideas seem similar, that, that Jesus is the better Moses, he is leading the way, he's setting the example, and he's showing what the outcome is. There's a favor of God mm-hmm. with those who are, uh, are purified in his blood and in his way. So just a powerful thought. Yeah, the fact that, that, that the heavens opened up and uh, the Spirit of God descends like a dove and the voice of God uh, it comes, it says this was it was not just another sinner coming for baptism. It was not that. It was not that. And it interestingly enough, this same account is in Matthew, but Luke is the only one that tells the detail of this that happened while he was praying. It was interesting, I thought. That was just something that stood out because that detail that tells the time that this that the that the heavens opened up uh, and it happened while Jesus was praying Jesus and John, I'm assuming, but that is, but it was not just another sinner coming for baptism. This was the sinless son of God. So he did not need a repentance baptism. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So then what we see from verses uh, 23, all the way to the end of the chapter is a genealogy and Mm -hmm. It is really important, I suppose, to note, I'm not going to go into great detail on this, but it's important to note that these genealogies, uh, these genealogies are not just space fillers. Right. It's just not just words on a page. There's, there is, uh, there are amazing things to be understood inside of these genealogies. I'd love to take an entire podcast and just talk about how the the biblical authors uh, wrote these genealogies to convey points, you know, how many generations and how many groups of 14 generations mm-hmm. and all of these other things. But what we're, what we're supposed to connect here is that Jesus was the son of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. From verse 23 down to 
Adam, the son of God, we're connecting that Jesus is mm-hmm. the son of God. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the stressed point here. And then, of course, that dumps us right out into tomorrow, which would be yeah. the temptation of Jesus. For those of you who are geeks like us, you I, I will note in the genealogy, there is a genealogy in Matthew as well. And I I, I noted that that the genealogy in Matthew is slightly different. Now there's a there's a reason for that and and uh, maybe more than one, but the one certainly for sure. Matthew was a Jew, and he and the Jewish people, when they followed a lineage line, they followed the lineage of the males in the, in, in the line of the family. Luke was not a Jew. He was a, he was a Gentile. His lineage follows the line of Mary at a point. So that, that is the difference. And you'll see that some of, it's slightly different in some of the names that you'll see. But Luke follows Mary's lineage, and Matthew follows the, 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 the father, the male lineage. Yes. So uh, just for those of you that look for that kind of thing or would see it, that's... that's yeah, the, there, there are also, for, for those who struggle with uh, perceived contradictions or perce- perceived discrepancies in the text, there are plenty of, um, of YouTube channels of apologists out there uh, that that go into great detail as to what these lineages are communicating and what they're all about. So, uh, you know, if if your heart is troubled on those things, uh, don't let it be troubled. There Absolutely. are many things there. There's a, another piece to that kind of geekiness of the lineage to remember that um, there is a common Jewish understanding that says and so-and-so is the son of, or that so-and-so is the father of this particular person. For example, when we're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sometimes later down the lineage, we talk about, the scripture talks about their father, Abraham, mm-hmm. but their literal father was somebody else. The idea, great, great, great yes, the idea, though, is a, a uh, an understanding of... of um, Jewish lineage. There's an understanding of a long-term plan of God that's going here that went all yes. the way back to the one to whom the promise was made. And so so the same thing happens, I think, in the beginning of this when we start to ask who was Joseph and, and all of these other things. It is There's a connection. This point is to connect it all the way back to God, that yep, Jesus absolutely. is the Son of God. That's the so, point of it. This has been uh, a fun time going through Luke chapter 3, tomorrow Luke chapter 4. Uh, if you guys have any questions, we want you to uh, we want you to ask those questions. If you have comments, if you have challenges, even, even thoughts where you say, I don't see it that way, and here's why, even if you would say... I don't see it that way, and I think it's problematic if you see it any other way. Uh, we'd love to hear that because that is how this—that's uh, how we grow. We just we hear, you know, we hear ideas, we hear concepts, and we begin to hash those out in a, a manner of speaking. So, we encourage you to fill out things on the on the podcast. Share this podcast with people that you think would benefit from learning about uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts as we go through it. And uh, and maybe we can get more and more people uh, into this conversation. Yeah. So uh, we will see you tomorrow. We hope you have a great day. God bless.